The Word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul's Letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, TCBC. Uh, I'm Brian Scott, the lead pastor here at Twin City Bible Church. So glad that you're joining us here. If you're here for the first time or the 1000th time, uh, we're so excited to be together. Uh, it is a ever-changing situation with obviously the pandemic and restrictions. And, um, you know, though we are in a way, as, as Shannon mentioned earlier, sort of taking a step back, uh, we're trusting that the Lord is doing something new um, in us, through through us, uh, in our world, and uh, we trust that He He's going to help us to get through this together to the other side. Um, just real quick here before I jump in, just to clarify something from last week. If you were here with us last week, uh, got to share on one of the more famous passages of Philippians, and Paul he talks there about anxiety, and anxiety is a big deal in our culture and our society, and you know, there's various levels of that. Certainly when I spoke of it and when Paul speaks of it here, his comments are, are very much limited to the type of anxiety that is just um, germane in a sense for all of us. He's not talking about clinical anxiety and certainly my comments uh, were not uh, either. I could understand um, how that could be confusing and just certainly if you were somebody who, who maybe heard that in a way that um, uh, affects clinical anxiety, I apologize, but definitely want to encourage you that as a community, we support uh, those that are struggling in various ways, and, and scripture uh, certainly has an ethic for it and in it that would support various means to deal with the complexity of human soul. So anyways, just wanted to make a note of that. All right, let's jump into the, the word of God today. I invite you to turn off your videos and if you've not already done so but also to open your bibles and let's pray father thank you for your grace uh lord this morning for your word here in philippians it's exciting to be able to finish a book here 
and to have worked through so much uh, great things to encourage us and to challenge us. And we ask that today, Holy Spirit, would be more of the same, Lord, that you would speak, help me and help us as hearers in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is uh, talking about money and possessions. And so I entitled today's sermon, not uh, we are rooted in Christ, not in money and possessions. Really, there's, uh, there's sort of three things that we could, he, he categorizes that uh, topic here under. One, you could say Christ is Lord, therefore money is not. Uh, secondly, Christ is Lord, therefore we should be generous. And then thirdly, Christ is Lord and our God is our provider. So Jesus is Lord, therefore money's not, therefore we should be generous and also God is our provider. Okay, so the first point, Christ is Lord, therefore money is not. As Paul says here in the first section in verses 10 through 13, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's interesting that Paul starts talking about his great joy in their gift, but then he sort of qualifies that, not that I'm speaking from being in need. And what's going on there? And as we sit in the middle of uh, an economic crisis, which is obviously on top of a pandemic and uh, so many other challenges and hardships that we all face in our society, uh, look back to our most recent financial hardship as a nation and, and globally in the Great Recession, 2008-2009. And uh, the founder of one financial group, the Vanguard Group, John Bago, he gave a speech at Columbia University School of Business in 2009, so during the Great Recession, really sort of giving an autopsy of how did we get here and giving some instruction of what we could do better. The title of his particular his speech was the fiduciary uh, principle, no man can serve two masters. The fiduciary principle, no man can serve two masters. And he spoke about how the reason why globally and certainly here in the United States, we had entered into this recession and this downturn and the crash of the start market and the bubble bursting in the housing market and so many businesses hit hard. Uh, he says that the, the reason for that was that in the financial industry and Wall Street in particular, that moral relativism had, had seeped in. And he says that there used to be a point where in the business and finance world, where there were just some, some things which one simply would not do. That was a principle, a guiding principle. But then over time, culturally things shifted into a, a, a statement more like, if everyone else is doing it, I can do it too. That's his definition of moral relativism. And he talks about how the problem uh, that was going on in the financial industries, at least from his standpoint, was that the managers who would oversee you know, mutual funds and other funds that uh, investors would, would put money towards themselves had their own sort of motivation around those funds. And in fact, 
though they had a responsibility, the fiduciary principles, which he was talking about, to be a mindful of what was helpful for the investor, they were often motivated by their own greed, their own personal gain. And here's what he says. His principal, his principal objection of moral relativism is that it, it, it obscures, it obfuscates and mitigates the obligation that we owe to society and shifts the focus to the benefits accruing to the individual. And so he says self-interest unchecked is a powerful force, but he talks about one that if it's going to be in the interest of the, the society, it needs to be checked. Now, what is he saying? I mean, that's a lot of words. What does he mean? <clears throat> What he means is that the human heart, if there is no restraint, is interested in itself. And in fact, when money is involved, it is interested in its own personal financial gain. At the heart of what happened in the financial crisis was individual greed that was compounded over an entire industry, according to John Bogle. Self-interest unchecked is a powerful force. And why, why, is, why is greed so powerful? Why is self-interest so destructive to society? Again, a whole recession brought forth by it. Well, there's two reasons why greed is so powerful and why self-interest is so destructive. One is that greed is subtle. It's difficult to detect within us. It hides itself from the, its host. Uh, it's akin to in the Ten Commandments, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. The Tenth Commandment of all the commandments is the one that is clearly directly dealing with the heart. They all deal with the heart. But when you think about don't murder, okay, that's a action. Uh, obviously, there's a heart behind that. And Jesus clarifies that hatred towards one is murder and is considered breaking the commandment. But the Tenth Commandment says do not covet. It's not like lying or adultery when you can clearly tell when that's happening. Do not covet is something that happens internally. And so out of all the other commandments, which have a clear surface level uh, sort of barometer, we know when we've crossed that line, though, again, they have a heart component as well. The 10th commandment is clearly pointing to the heart, coveting. And Jesus talked about coveting and, or greed in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and 15, he, there were two men who came to him and they were brothers and one was taking all of the inheritance and the other wanted part of the inheritance. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, well, well, the one brother did anyways, he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, well, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And then here's his warning in verse 15 of Luke chapter 12. Take care. This is Jesus. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is saying there's all kinds of greed. You need to be on guard. Why? Because it's so subtle. It's really subtle. And in fact, it's so subtle, it's easier to sort of point it out in someone else like this one brother to the other, then to identify it in himself. Jesus is saying, both of you are having greed. So two reasons why greed can be so powerful and destructive. One is it's subtle and difficult to detect, but the other reason greed is so destructive 
is that the desire for money and possessions is an idol. It can be the integrative core of our soul, so much so that all of the decisions that we make are to gain it, to live by it, to follow it. It's a form of idolatry. And so like John Bogle says, you can't serve two masters. Now, in his particular speech, I think he's talking about as a uh, financial you know, person overseeing a fund, either you're going to serve your interests or you're going to serve the interest of the people you're serving. Now, he's quoting uh, Jesus, but Jesus meant that in a specific way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus says that you cannot serve both God and money. Money or God will be your master. And when money is your master, you become enslaved to it. Any, any idol is, is that way. And so there are three things that happen when we have an idol. We love it. We trust it. We obey it. We love it. We trust it. We obey it. Which is why Paul's comments here in Philippians 4 are so powerful and poignant. He's saying, I can rejoice over the fact that you've given me a contribution most many times. But it's not motivated by greed. It's not motivated by money as being the integrative core of my soul. In fact, he talks about how Jesus himself strengthens him, even in times of abasement, even in times of hunger, even in times of lack, that Jesus is with him. Jesus is the core of his being, the core of his life, the reason he lives, the motivation, the reason he gets up in the morning. It's because of what Jesus Christ did for him. And therefore, money is not his idol. So therefore, he can rejoice in the gift that the Philippians give him, yet not be motivated by greed. He speaks of the, the joy that he has in their gift. Uh, and, and Epaphroditus, whom we've read about and talked about in previous weeks, was the one who had brought that gift to him. And he's clarifying that my joy is present, not because I am greedy, but because you're giving for the gospel. And he's saying, I know how to be content. I know how to live in hunger and in abundance. Greed is not the core of my life. And in fact, I depend on Jesus Christ. If money is the core or greed is the core of one's life, then when financial hardship comes, it crushes you. Think about the wealthy uh, Wall Street financial moguls, uh, when times got tough in that crisis in 2008 and 2009, we heard these horrible stories where many committed suicide and one, you know, even in some cases, their whole killed their family and then committed suicide. Why? Because the thing that they were trusting in failed them and they had nothing to fall on in that time. Whereas for Paul, he's saying, I have been in hunger and I know how to be content in hunger because my trust is not in finances or money or possessions. My trust is in Jesus Christ. Giving and contentment, therefore, the giving on the one hand by the Philippians, the contentment on Paul, the recipient, they are both fruit that show our life is rooted in Jesus Christ, not in money and possessions. So therefore, Jesus is Lord and money is not. So point two, Christ is Lord, therefore we should be generous. Christ is Lord, therefore we should be generous. 
Paul goes on to say, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So after he's qualified all of that, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Many Christians ask the question about giving. You know, money and giving and finance is one of the most difficult conversations to have for married people is one of the most challenging conversations to have. We see a lot of marriages that end up on the rocks because of the issue of finances. Uh, money is a difficult, uh, you know, topic in families and it, it's a difficult topic. And so for a lot of Christians coming to this particular topic, we kind of get alligator arms like, ah, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that or what am I supposed to do about that? And so many Christians, you know, ask this question, well, what about tithing, right? So am I required to tithe? Because what does the New Testament say about it? And, you know, I just want to qualify from my own personal experience. I'm very thankful. My parents taught me when I was a kid, a young kid, they would give me allowance, I don't know, starting fourth, fifth grade or something. And they taught me tithing from the onset. So that was a practice, a spiritual discipline, uh, even that I committed to all through grade school, college, and, and into adulthood. And so it never became an issue for me, regardless of what situation I was in. Also, I would add that because I was a missionary for 21 years and uh, directly benefiting from people, individual people's giving uh, as a pastor and a minister and a missionary to college campuses and students, um, my family and I, we, we, we were able to survive because of people giving. And so I, I fully embrace this reality. But I understand that many people struggle with the whole issue of giving and money and you know, what do I do in the issue of tithing. So let's consider it for a moment. Is tithing, you know, well, first of all, in the Old Testament, it's clear that it's a command. It's clear that it's a command, 10% of all that you, you make or and what is produced that you give that to the Lord and the, the locus of that giving was in the temple and, and, and for the Levites to be able to live off of the giving of the rest of the other tribes. Um, in the New Testament, is there a clear commandment to tithe? Um, well, one, maybe a better question was, it would be, does there need to be a clear commandment to tithe? But put that aside. Um, it's clearly in the New Old Testament, but is there a clear commandment to tithe? Well, no, there's not a clear commandment. Jesus mentions tithing in the Gospels. He doesn't abolish it. If you would, you would think, certainly, if he were going to say something contrary to it when he does mention it about the tithing of mint and dill of the Pharisees, uh, that he doesn't speak of it in a pejorative way. So you could easily sort of conclude, on the one hand, that this means tithing must still be the case for New Testament believers. But let's just say, for example, sort of consider the alternative. Perhaps that doesn't convince you or someone that you know. 
Uh, it's, you know, I'm not commanded to tithe in the New Testament specifically. What do I do? Well, in Pastor Tim Keller's book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, he talks a little bit about this and he says that he's had counsel, you know, a lot of Christians over the years who bring this up to him and they sort of work through that, that, that logic. And then here's what he asked them. He, he like, okay, no, there's not a direct appeal to tithe in the New Testament, but here's what he says. Do we have greater revelation in the New Testament, more grace, more indebtedness to the grace of God in the New Testament, the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins? Do we have a greater revelation and more grace, more indebtedness than our Old Testament uh, counterparts who were believers? Well, yes. Uh, did Jesus sort of, when he died for us, did he give you know a tenth of his blood, a tenth of his life, or did he give all of it? And so, yes. And so then do we owe part of our lives to him or all of our lives to him? In fact, it would be odd to say that we who've received so much more as New Testament believers, the fullness of the revelation, that we should somehow come out giving less to God as a result. So in reality, in the scripture, we don't need a commandment in the New Testament. God's not trying to force us to give, but rather that we would recognize in the goodness of his grace to us that we have the ability to give, to be generous. And then therefore, you know, tithing is really sort of a baseline. It's something that we build on that we want to go above and beyond. Um, if, if money is God, then tithing and generosity to the church, they won't make sense. Um, I mean, let me just make a point here. By the way, the scripture it puts giving in various categories. Like we've talked about giving this money this morning, uh, which is an amazing testimony about the safe families. And there's, there's alms giving or, you know, charitable giving, but then there's also giving within the realm of the church or say for missionaries, uh, things that pertain to the proclamation of the gospel uh, that pertain to the, the, the house of God, God's church and all that happens to be a blessing within that setting. And it's Paul talking about specifically, at least in this particular uh, case, and certainly you can make reference to the other types of giving as well, the giving that is attributed to the gospel. In our secular society, people give, right? There's philanthropy, charitable giving. And, and from a secular mindset, those things might make sense, particularly if you hold a view that, you know, injustice in society and social order are the primary things that bring, you know, damage and ill to people's lives. And certainly that's something that Christians believe in injustice in the social order and in society, but not as the primary issue going on in our lives. We, we recognize and scripture teaches us that there is something that drives all of that injustice, that drives all of the ills of society. And in fact, it's not just in Wall Street moguls in their greed or politicians who have special interest groups supporting them and, you know, uh, compromising their, their, their judgments. But the reality is the brokenness of our world is within all of us. It's, it's the sin. It's all of our, the, our, our proclivity to, to be rebellious towards God. It's within all of us. It's not just the achievement gap or the education gap, those are, those are real things that as Christians we need to 
respond to, they are all real things. They're all wrong things, but there's something that drives those things. And that thing that drives those things is in all of us. Humanity's condition of utter spiritual bankruptcy is the issue. And it's an issue that religion won't fix, morality won't fix. Only Jesus has the authority to fix it and the power to do so and actually did the actions to fix it in his perfect work of death, burial, and resurrection. People need to hear that message. And therefore, that is why giving for the gospel is so important, why Paul is rejoicing that the Philippians give to him. I mean, he's in prison. He's still preaching. He'll say in a, a few verses later that the Caesar's household greets you, that there's people because of his imprisonment likely have come to know Christ and therefore they are sending their greeting. Uh, you know, some of the, his captors, uh, perhaps. So our giving should reflect our belief that we see the power of what sin has done and therefore the overwhelming power and grace of what Jesus has done for us to be a community that is transformed by him and to be a community that is able to renew the world. Tithing, therefore, is a baseline, not an upper limit. Uh, and, and so furthermore, when we think about giving in the way that Paul mentions it here when he's talking about his need, and it's not about his need, it was about the credit for the Philippians' account or the fruit for their account, and you know it being a fragrant aroma, we see that the giving in the realm of, uh, of the gospel happens in two planes simultaneously. It's both temporal and eternal. In one sense, it, it, addressed, it addressed Paul, but also was a fragrant offering to God. It's both need-based and Christ-centered. It met Paul's immediate needs, but it is a credit to the Philippians' heavenly account. I can tell you that as uh, missionaries, as my family and I have been a beneficiary of people's giving over uh, 21 years, that not only have we learned the, you know, how to be content in whatever our circumstances, living in the most expensive city in, in the US, in New York City, but also we recognize the value of individual giving, that it not only benefits the recipient, but it pleases the Lord. And I encourage you that as you've given in so many ways, and we think about all the hardships of this year, that our giving doesn't just affect needs in the temporal realm, it blesses God in the eternal. Here's our last point. Uh, Christ is Lord and God is our provider. Point three, Christ is Lord and God is our provider. Paul says in verse 19, uh, one of the more famous verses here again in Philippians, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. When I started as a missionary in, uh, well, 1999 on the campus, but then moving to New York in 2004, it was really overwhelming. I had no idea how it was going to work from a financial perspective. There's so much pressure financially and everyone who ever has lived in New York City could attest to that. Um, and so I 
had to learn firsthand by experience that God is my provider. Like on paper, for the fact that my, my wife and I and our four kids that we lived in New York, there is it doesn't make any sense. There is no way that that should work. Um, when you look at sort of the setup, okay, I'm a, I'm a missionary. Often missionaries from America go to other economies that are not as strong. And so the gifting you know, can go further. Not the case going to New York. Um, a lot of my fundraising was in North Carolina. It's like, if you compare the economies there, it's the dollar doesn't go as far in, in New York by any stretch. Uh, you think about um, I, I, just day-to-day -day life, ministry, all the challenges that are there, uh, the pressures that are there. And also um, just, uh, you know, raising a family in New York City, uh, we were often... Uh, people just sort of like would stop and stare almost at our family. We have four kids. It's just such an anomaly in, in New York. Uh, and in fact, there was years ago, the New York Times did an article about how in New York City, uh, people would actually have kids as a, as a status symbol, you know, to, to flaunt sort of their wealth or what have you, which obviously is not the case for us. Uh, and so, you know, here we are sort of living in this anomaly. Uh, but it was in that that we had to learn God is our provider. We don't just provide for ourselves. God provides for us. And, and it's Christ who is the mediator of, of, of our provision, God's provision for us, that God, he's able to supply our needs. So we think about giving, we can recognize and be rest assured that God is going to supply our needs and not according to some measure within us, but according to the measure of his glory, his riches, that are available to us in Christ Jesus. It's in recognizing that, that we can begin to have freedom to not only give, to, but to be generous. And, and, and we also, you know, we think about money and, as an idol or greed as an idol. Um, it's important to recognize that there is aspects of that that affect all of us. Re recall, it's, it's subtle, greed is subtle. Again, going back to Pastor Tim Keller, or Dr. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he talks about the deep idols that actually drive how money is, an, is sort of a surface level idol for us. And, and what he means is, is that there's actually things that are on a deep level, the thing that we ultimately serve and therefore leverage money to gain. So power, control, social status, personal beauty are some of those areas that are sort of the deep idol. For example, power, it, it, the way that we use money or, or possessions within, if, depending on which of these is our deep idol, looks different. For example, with power, you don't really care how, what people think about you if power is your most base thing, the thing that is sort of the core of who you are and what you live for. You will do what it takes to get it. You will use money to get it. Control. For control, you live a different, you live in a different way. You could actually be living very modestly, amassing wealth, putting it aside for the point of having control over your life and your future. Think of the rich young ruler. I mean, he, Jesus challenged him, give it all away, follow me. And he went away sad. He was probably in, wanted to be in control, using money for control. Social status. If money's sort of leveraged for social status, then you spend money on things to, to up your game and you know curry favor in certain social circles. 
because ultimately you desire to have uh, an appearance, you know, and to be to be liked by certain groups of people. Or finally, with personal beauty, you know, it could be on you know wardrobe, personal effects, identity is sort of the core there, and and desire for a certain significance of self based on those things. If we are honest, probably one of these things is our is is where we are tempted on a deep level. And I appreciate and love how Paul finishes his comments here. Ultimately, it's about the glory of God, that we are to live for the glory of God, and that the way that grace, it, it, it helps us in these deep idols, is that we recognize Jesus gave up his treasure in heaven to make you his treasure. And that when you see him dying to make you his treasure, that will make him your treasure that you could see him as the pearl of pearls, as the king who did not elect you, or rather that whom we did not elect, but he elected you as a citizen of heaven. He's the one who humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, taking the obscenity of the cross because of his great love for you and I. It's because God so loved the world that he gave him. And in, and in knowing these things, we can respond in a generous life. Finally, it just it, as a as a congregation, we are in challenging times. And for some of you, perhaps giving is not a consistent uh, part of your your rhythm. It's not something that you've ever really practiced on any regular basis. I encourage you. You might say, "Well, this is this is the worst time to 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 start a practice like this." Well, actually, perhaps it's the best because in a time like this, this is when we really get to learn that God is our provider. He is going to supply our needs according to his riches. Doesn't mean that we are neglectful, doesn't mean that we don't do the right things, but it does mean that God is in control and that there is a supernatural element uh, to our finances. Students, you know, I encourage you, this is the best time if you've not uh, developed that rhythm of giving and tithing uh, to do it now uh, as a student and to, to really get that going so that when it becomes more challenging once you have a job that you already have you already laid down these idols you've already wrestled and in, in, in your heart you've said you know i want to let jesus be lord even of this part of my life um ultimately i encourage all of us wherever we are that jesus gives us the power to be content that because of what he did for us to as our he, he made us his treasure that we would treasure him and that money would not be more than what it simply is, a tool to be a blessing uh, for not only ourselves, but for many, many others and for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace as we've gone through this, this book of Philippians and Lord, I've been stirred uh, and so much more in rereading it and digging deeper to know you more and then let Jesus Christ be the core and the center uh, of my life in area area and i trust that my friends here and brothers and sisters have been challenged similarly i pray in regards to money which is so uh greed is so elusive and, and and invisible lord that you would speak to our hearts and then help us to be free of idols to be free of the love of money to be content and to glorify your name in jesus christ in jesus name we pray amen